What's going on, Drinking Buddies? Brand new podcast coming right at you, but you know what we got to do first. We got to talk about those things that generate a little revenue for the show. First and foremost, we are brought to you by the Patreon at patreon.com slash Matt Slayer. Do you want the video versions a week early, uncensored? Go to the Patreon. You want this audio ad-free? Go to the Patreon. You just want to support the show? Go to the Patreon. Once again, at patreon.com slash Matt Slayer. There's going to be more exclusive content going up in the next couple of weeks. So please support the show. Join the Patreon today. We are also brought to you by the merch store at awd.net slash merch. Have you picked yourself up a drink up mofo hat? How about an explicit text t-shirt? Apparently this show ruins lives. There's that and much more at the merch store at awd.net slash merch. If you're listening to this on YouTube, go click on the channel. The merch store is there. All right. Last, but certainly not least, there are two easy ways to support this podcast. One, signal boost. Tell your friends. Share posts. Just let people know it exists. Really that easy. Super that easy. The other, go to youtube.com slash now we drink. Subscribe. Feed the algorithm. Let the YouTube machine know that you enjoy the content or hate the content. I don't care. Just subscribe. Seriously. Subscribe. Let's get on with the show. My guest this week is a professional dominatrix. Amex. Tommy. This was an interesting episode. I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So it takes a bit for me to wrap my brain around like why some people are into this stuff. Like I'm not here to shame anybody for it. I just like, it's not what I'm into. So it's like, what drives someone into want to do that? So this was a very fun and interesting conversation. A lot about, you know, the kinks and such. So sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy drinking, buddies. Amazing start. Oh my god! Yeah, Tommy's very first podcast, and she's just like, "I'm gonna just break equipment starting off. We'll just we'll spray it. We'll make it total accident." <laughs> to people listening in, that was a total accident. <laughs> if anything, I'm to blame. I brought you the club soda. It it is your fault. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that one. Well, luckily I didn't break my own shit, so <laughs> I don't know why I just opened another bottle while I have an open bottle. Right there. <laughs> it's that that's that kind of day. It. it it's not going to go bad. It's fine. <laughs> Tell me, how, how's your trip to, been, to LA been so far? Oh my gosh. It's been insane. I, so I was in SF before LA. Um, and this trip in LA is my first ever sort of like big collaboration shoots, big like studio meetings, podcasts. I, I've like been meeting people and like seeing people that I've been seeing online for a while. And it's just been, it's been a wild ride and I love it. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Hey, you gotten like, is it all just professional stuff? Or are you doing like 
I mean, when I say professional stuff, like actual professional shoots versus like sessions, are you doing sessions while you're here too? I am doing sessions. So tomorrow I have some sessions I'm really excited about and it's going to be a nice break. Like that's going to be my stress relief. <laughs> like a lot of shooting and then now I can take it out on some very willing victims. <laughs> Nothing like, oh, hey, I need to relieve stress and you're going to pay me to relieve stress. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't choose anything else to do. <laughs> Like, like, how'd you stumble into like the best job in the world then? Like, yeah. Okay. So, um, I kind of, I, I mean, I heard of you through Carly and I trust her with my heart, with my work. She like redesigned my website, um, is working on my SEO. It has like, is just so such incredible person. So when she said that you have a podcast, I jumped in immediately and I was like, I would love to meet with you and talk, um, for my first one. But I also came in blind, so I don't know that much about you. Oh, no. Yeah, and so I'm wondering how much do you know about me so that I can fill in. A little bit. I was able to find, you know, I perused your website a little bit. Okay. Uh, I was hoping to, like, dive into your Reddit a little bit, but most of your Reddit is, like, people just fawning over you, it looks like. Uh, Yeah, that's mainly it. (laughs) It's like, oh, I was hoping for some deep introspective, like, nope, it's just dudes being thirsty. It's a lot of dudes being thirsty, yeah. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. The, it happens. They give you money. It, <laughs> like it's better that they're being they're being thirsty as long as they're not being gross about it than them being like, why is this Reddit empty? Crickets. Yeah, I recently put my um, Twitter profile on private because my and I separate out my digital work from my like in person work because I think the in person side of things is um, coming from an it's an extension of myself, right and. Uh, a lot of the stuff I do is like fairly extreme, um, and I I have like a, I have a group of people that I like have been following, and I'm like very comfortable with that. But okay, a little background about me. My name is Mistress Tommy. Um, online, I go by MX Tommy, Mistress Tommy, um, Tommy in general. Uh, the name comes from Junji Ito's Tomie, Um and she's this being who kind of like gets resurrected. And rebirthed over and over again, and also like dies in kind of like gruesome ways. Um, and I think like that balance of violence and her beauty was something that was a, a muse for me personally. Um, I started in 2019 in a dungeon in New York and primarily did in person work until. Really, last year I started going digital, and really am hitting the digital side of it hard now. Yeah, nice, nice. And you were a bit of a lifestyle player, like just in your personal life before. Yes, still, and like still a lifestyle player with like other doms and sex workers. Like when we host uh, parties and events, like that's that really nourishes me. Like BDSM is a is a lifestyle for me. Nice. It's not like yo, oh, well, I got to punch in now and put on the BDSM work. No, not at all. I think like a, a lot of my growth came from the dungeon. A lot of it came from my clients, my subs. I learned, I learned way more about myself in the last like f- four years, four or five years doing this than I ever have. It's been an insane amount of growth. That's fucking awesome. Like, so judging from your online profile, tell me if this is just you know, what you're part of the image you're selling or if this is actually like, you really like to, you know, uh, 
I forgot what the proper term for putting like a cage on a dude is. Oh, chastity? Yeah, chastity. There we go. Uh-huh. That looks like something you rather enjoy doing. I do enjoy chastity, yes. <laughs> what made you be like, oh yeah, that dude, he shouldn't be able to use his penis. I I don't I think it's less about I, I it was it was less about like a moment where I was like, oh, like he shouldn't use his penis. It started with a lot of tease and denial. Um, I liked the power of like withholding sex. I liked the power of withholding access to my body. Um, and chastity was a very like natural extension of that withholding. There's mental chastity where you're like, don't touch yourself or just edge, which is great. But nothing really compares to you are locked up. I have the keys and there's no way you can get out now. And it's as long as I want you to be in it within a negotiated like set of boundaries. So do you enjoy denying yourself the sex though? Like, I don't think I'm denying myself of anything. Okay. Yeah. I think it makes the, the experience a little bit more exciting. I think it makes it a little bit more fruitful. Um, and I often think that that's vanilla sex and like main, mainstream sex, I suppose. There's a like overemphasis on let's get the penis in the vagina as soon as possible, as fast as possible. Let's like get that orgasm like now. And in BDSM, the spectrum of like what a, spe- a sexual experiences expands, right? The spectrum of like what your body can do and what your body can um, feel and how you can interact with people or peoples, it just widens. And I, I think like experience, like experiencing that like flow of all different forms of like life and like people and how they, how they are is really, really fun. <laughs> hey, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Like this is the last place that like anyone gets kink shame unless they're doing something that's fucking illegal. Mm-hmm. Like what happens between two consenting adults? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just kind of a vanilla person. So I'm always kind of curious, like, yeah, if, let's talk about it. If like if a partner was like, "Yo, so I'm gonna lock up, I'm gonna lock you up, Chess." I'm no, no, I, I, it is outside of my comfort zone for a partner to tie me up. Yeah, okay, that's totally okay, and I think like that's like valid, right? Like if you're not into something like that, there's a lot of other people who are vanilla, for sure. And then if you are into something like that, there are also people out there who enjoy that. And they can either be in a lifestyle sort of space or if their lifestyle space is hard to access, there's people like me who not only like do it in person, but now like create content to kind of like satisfy the itch. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious how many people are coming to you to satisfy that itch and then go back to their vanilla life that were the kind of leading a lie. Um, I don't know if like leading the lie, a lie is the right word for it. I think a lot of, so my demographic of subs and clients are predominantly men. I I think there's a lot of social pressure and expectation for them to perform masculinity. And that's a very narrow set of things that they can express emotionally, you know, um, physically um, and like in relationships of like any kind. I also have a lot of different types of people who come to me, right? Some people come to me, yeah, to satisfy an itch. Other people come to me because they're struggling with their relationship with their body. Or other people, it's not one-off, right? I have some like really fruitful DS dynamics and DS relationships 
um, within arrangements that have lasted since when I first started at a dungeon. For the audience home, what's DS? Yes, uh, Dom Sub. Because <laughs> yeah, there may be some vanilla people listening, so. Oh, that's totally fine. I hope I'm corrupting you. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> corrupting and educating. <laughs> right, we are an educational show. Yes, educational. very educational. <laughs> but you were, you were saying, and so you have. I, I assume people of all walks of life come, but it's just it's one of those things for for me personally. It's just like I've never had that itch. I've never been like, huh, wonder what chastity would feel like, or. I wonder what pegging is. It's just never crossed my mind. So it's always curious to me. Like, I'm not knocking anybody who's into it. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. What? It's like, oh, hey, I want to be dominated by a woman. And that's cool. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm curious to the type of people that I mean, I'm sure people probably come from all walks of life to it. It's not just like, I know there's always the stereotype of like the high powered businessman who just wants to let go. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are people from all sorts of walks of life that come to see you. Yeah, there is people from all walks of life that come to see me. At this point for in-person, though, with my rates, they tend to be high-powered businessmen of some some kind. Um, and that's just a, you know, sort of financial, like, sort of um, barrier that I've set for myself. Um, but I've, even at this rate, I've had some, like, some clients who, like, they saved up like months to see me and I feel really like honored that they decide to to spend their money on on this experience and they find it worthwhile yeah and I think people for people who are into kink and BDSM they tend to be people who are curious about experiences um, even if they haven't tried it themselves there tends to be if they've overcome that initial shame and guilt an openness to what other things like might be out there yeah that's awesome. I wonder if anyone's maxing out credit cards to come see you. Like, Oh, I mean, it is a consensual relationship. I hope they are responsible with it. But there's been instances of people who have worked very hard to, to have access to me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's not your responsibility. If someone else wants to max out their credit card to see you, it's not your responsibility to be like, whoa, bro, think about the interest rates. <laughs> I, I sometimes think about that because I uh, it, it is it's, it's always fully consensual. Um, I also kind of understand that it could be very alluring for some people to, in in a financial way, uh, hit a point of a uh, uh, risk too. Like sometimes, like them maxing out the credit card is the excitement. Like the fact that they're doing that for a woman that they're really pining after. Like there's a bit of financial domination um, in that. And I think there's a sort of like tricky, depending on person to person, there's some sort of like tricky, um, you know, things to navigate. And they're fun for me to navigate and really understanding the psychology and like their their ability to sustain themselves before or after and taking that into account. That'd be hilarious. Someone just rolls in with their like their credit card statement, like, look what I did for you, mistress. I did have one person online um take out loans for me once. Yes. I and hope they weren't payday loans. It got to a point where um I was like, okay, I think um I'm going to be calling red. And on the dominant side, you can call red too, right? Like you're it's going in a direction that um, is hitting one of my limits. And I think one of my limits is like serious financial or physical harm with no repair. Like that's a limit for me. 
You're not the American medical system. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, no, no, no. I don't want you to have to mortgage your home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't. There's some forms of, of play that certain doms can engage in that are a, more unethical. And they're, if you're into that form of self-harm, they're out there, right? But I don't want to be an extension of self-harm. What makes it cross the boundaries into unethical? If if the um, other party is consenting and spending their money and yeah. they're just taking it, what where does it become unethical? Yeah, so I, I look for like like healthy emotional regulation and self-awareness, first and foremost, so that they can assess their risk properly. And I also look for, is this something that can be repaired or not, right? So I was okay with him taking out loans for me, but there was a certain point where it's kind of getting to a point of like beyond repair. It's going to take too long for him to work. It's going to take too much out of his life. It's going to like really cut into how many months of rent he's going to be missing. At that point, then I, I stop. Yeah, the last thing you want is him living, trying to live at the dungeon because he's got nowhere else to go. Yeah, exactly. So I think some people are in, there's some doms who have developed DS relationships where um, that is the fantasy for them. They want to live at a dungeon. And if that's the case, then it's actually a lot of responsibility on our end to take care of them fully, right? Um, and I don't want that. Yeah, in a very selfish way. You don't want adult children? I do not want adult children. Uh-huh. I can play adult children for a little while, but long term, no. <laughs> I can mommy dumb you though. <laughs> as long as you're not going to be end up homeless over it, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> so you know, treat it like it's a bankruptcy. Just go into a lower you know income housing, sell your car, just reduce your expenses, and then you could just pour it all onto Tommy. <laughs> just have to change your budgeting around. Uh, you may yeah. not be able to live the lifestyle you once knew. I once had a person um, have me budget for him. And that was really interesting because I, uh, yeah, I took on a level of responsibility that was actually not that fun for me. I was still financially doming him because within his budget, I was taking out like uh, allowances for for him, actually. Like I had 100%. And then he had the allowance. And that amount of responsibility, it felt like a parent, right? Like a parent giving out, like, here's your monthly that you're allowed to use on XYZ and you have to like really monitor them. Can you have him do chores to get more money? Um, for this guy specifically, he was in chastity. So his rewards for working within his budget was release. <laughs> well, I remember when I was a kid, it's like, oh, I went over my allowance. I'm going to, can I do some chores around the house to make more money? Mm. That's a great idea. Yeah, it works really well with domestic servitude <laughs> for sure. Tell me at least, did you like like look at his budget and be like, "Yo, you're not eating right." Like, we're gonna give you this money to like buy a little bit better food. I have done that for certain subs actually, but that requires me like looking into their bank accounts and like doing like a pretty thorough, like you know, an audit of, like, of an audit exactly of like what they're doing. What what is this three M McDonald's, bro? <laughs> It, no, it's true. It's kind of atrocious sometimes how little they take care of themselves. And I think uh, often, sometimes, not all the time, the desire to sub is like a desire to like offload certain decision making and to, to someone who is, they can worship, is more responsible or like can play mommy. I actually have moved away from that type of domination. I think I had a period of time where that style was really interesting. It was really fun. And sometimes I can dabble back into it for a sub who's really worth it. But I think my life has gotten uh, to a point where I really value subs who 
go into the space for a certain level of hedonism, and then outside of it can take care of themselves quite well. How do you determine if you're going to make the exception for someone? A lot of it has to do with my time. My time is so limited at this point that um, with that level of attention I need to give to someone, the tribute package has to make sense. The amount of time I'm looking at, like, you know, and taking care of like their their situation has to make sense. My own like emotional capacity, like that really comes down to that. Like, do I have like the 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 means to to like be that person for for this one? Well, I'm sure pegging a dude's much more fun than auditing his books. Oh yes, please, <laughs> please let me just be an animal and peg you. I'm really, I'm really into some of the more like animalistic <laughs> things right now where I can just be in my body, be sensual and just fuck you over. So pulling out one of those accountant's hats and like. Uh. Exactly. I was doing my, the spreadsheet. I was like, I don't think this style of doming's for me. <laughs> I don't think I want to be mommy, no matter what amount of money. <laughs> right? It's just, well, I'm just balancing my own books and looking at like the idea of going through someone else's and being like. What did you spend your fucking money on? Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not, it's that, right? It's that humiliation too of being like, why did you do this? You're ex, like, you're this age. I can't believe you're blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's a whole sort of like psychological sort of warfare. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. It's difficult work, that, that level of doming. But for some people, it's very fulfilling um, and they like it and they have the time and capacity for it. Right now, it's not where I am. Just get a little lube and. Run it in. Oh, I don't just run it in. I well, mean, I'm sure. I make them beg for it. You know, I make them work for it. I warm them up. I want to see what a good slut they could be for me. It's a whole th- process. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're warming them up, like walk, walk me through it in a little more detail. I mean, everyone um, likes something different, right? How do you ascertain what they're into. Is it a conversation, a pre-care conversation or? Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of conversation. I, I like to, at this point, start anything in person with a little conversation, um, getting to know them, you know, learning about their life, where their kinks and fetishes comes from, what kind of porn they watch, if they've explored this by themselves before. And usually, like for pegging, for example, like pegging is just an act. It's not a mental headspace and so it means very different things for different people for some people pegging is basically the same as sex right it's just the woman's the one penetrating for other people pegging creates a feeling of humiliation and degradation Um, for other people who like being sissified or feminized pegging is a way for them to like feel like a woman so in that conversation I'm gauging their psychological framework and figuring out what buttons I can push to get as much control and power over them in the least amount of time or as in, in the most amount of time, depending on... Depending on their budget. <laughs> depending on, yes, depending on their budget, the time, how much I want to spend time with them too. I've, um, I've had instances where I've had subs like want to give me a, a, a good chunk of money for several days at a time or weeks or, you know, some of those packages. And if... I, if it's not a sustainable uh, dynamic, that amount of time, no matter the budget, I, I can't spend with them. So how do you decide if the juice is, isn't worth the squeeze? 
a lot of it's interpersonal, right? Like, do we have good chemistry? Do I feel exhausted afterwards or do I feel invigorated? Um, is this person constantly struggling and fighting back for control, right? Is this, is this something that I have to like constantly subdue or is it like a really easy chemistry? And when it's an easy chemistry, it's very much like um, regular relationships. Some people just click, right? Some people just click and it works really well. And I, I really seek out those types of people when I look for longer, longer sessions and longer arrangements. And I tend to like boys who work very hard for my attention and uh, spoil me properly and really make themselves, you know, stand out apart from the rest. What is the best way someone's ever spoiled you? Oh, man. I can't talk about it, but it's going to be cut off. Oh, well, that's not... It has to be censored. Okay, well, don't tell me then, because I I prefer not to have extra post work. (laughs) Yeah, I can't say on camera. Is there one that really stood out that isn't immediately identifying for who gave it? I think I pretty regularly get uh, tributes and gifts just because I want it. If you were an altar or shrine, what would people sacrifice to you? What is like, the, like you know, in theory, you're, ancient people's like, oh, we sacrifice virgins. What, what do we sacrifice to you? Mm. <laughs> Outside of like the simpler things like spoiling me with tributes and gifts and trips and food what i like in their sacrifice is hmm what do they sacrifice to a shrine for me i like people who push the limits of their bodies for me i like people who push the limits of what they mentally can handle for me i think that makes me feel alive that in this brief moment I'm on earth there's these people alive with me and I can do what I want with them experiment on them how I want someone who's willing to come to you and be like an open canvas the best sacrifice is a person a whole person yeah like that's very very satisfying for me in a very real way too like not in a performative way and I can I can experience just like two molecules colliding. One allows you to be an artist. So like they get to be a canvas for you to paint on. Yes. Sometimes literally. <laughs> yeah. I paint in different ways. <laughs> I saw some red paint, as it were, on, on your Twitter feed. Or was it the Reddit? I, one of, there was a picture of the you know, red paint. Yes, there was red paint on my Twitter feed. Um, that was actually a really gorgeous night. Um, he, one of his... Oh man, is this something I can say on camera again? I probably, I probably can't. But oh. that was a really gorgeous night of red paint. All right. Uh huh. <laughs> there were definitely pictures of sounding. Also. Yeah, sounding's fun. Uh huh. I mean, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'm never going to experience it. <laughs> I'm old enough that, like, back in the day for the test for chlamydia and gonorrhea, they had to stick a Q-tip up there, and that's uh-huh. enough for me. Yeah, it's not. It's not a sensation for everyone. No, no, no. Like, literally, back in the day, like it. I mean, this is what I'm like, a teenager, early 20s, like the local clinic, that's how they would test for a chlamydia gonorrhea is like Q-tip your dick. And it's just like, it put me off like, unless I was feeling like, oh, I really need to get tested. Right. I did not get tested as regularly as I needed to because I was just like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. And then mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's just urine now. I'm like, perfect. I will get tested every three months. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a fly. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck that came. Probably while I was out smoking. But and it was just like, the idea of sounding just, 
does not appeal to me in any way, shape, or form. Like, God bless the people that are into it, but it's just one of those things where I just, I can't wrap my brain around because that's just a sensation that, like, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that um, it feels like you're peeing backwards. Um, it feels different for everyone. Again, like, every single body is so different. So for some people, if, yeah, it feels like peeing backwards. For some people, it's like being stretched out. Um, I had one sub where what I would do is run electricity through it, actually. And he said he said it felt like, and this is so interesting, he said it felt like getting a blowjob from the inside. And it was a small amount of electricity. I mean, you're almost selling me on it at that point. Like It sounds interesting, right? I'm right. sort of like, it's so curious how differently every everybody, like, reacts. But I 100%, like, in my head would be like, oh, a blowjob from the inside. That sounds amazing. And then, like, if it didn't feel like that, I'd be like, I was sold a bill of goods. <laughs> just, just, my experience with just a Q-tip was it was wildly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then the next couple times I had to pee after that, it still burned. Yeah. So the the burning sensation sometimes can happen if, like, you are a little bit more sensitive there. Um, and also if there's like, if you're using the sound and it's kind of going like in and out several times or it's going too deep, but it's all things that I've, um, I've, I make sure that I shadow several doms before I practice anything myself and do extensive research. Soundings actually, people don't realize this, but it can be a little bit dangerous, um, because you can get like a, a, an infection if you puncture anything or if they're, if you don't sanitize it properly, and it's something that you have to be careful with and like any other sort of more intense kinks. So is there a separate waiver for sounding? There's no separate waivers. There's no waivers, really. I think, um, you know, subs really have to do their due diligence on their dom and who they like and the chemistry. Um, and I also think that's why when a sub gets along with a dom, and I have several regulars like that, um, they really there's a devotion and loyalty to it because it's really hard to find someone who not only aesthetically fits like what you like, but also has the emotional makeup and the psychological sort of like power, um, the skill set, you know, like all of that has to line up in such a specific way for for it to work out and for DS dynamics to go deeper. No, for sure, for sure. I'm curious. Do you ever envision like any sort of thing where you're like in personal life where it's more of a vanilla dynamic or is it always like, this is what I like. This is what I want to do. In my vanilla life, do you mean like, do I do vanilla things or just like if away from a, like a personal romantic relationship, would you ever be like, Oh, I'm not going to be the one in control. Would you ever give up control? Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. I think it's important to recognize that no one's ever truly in control. Yeah, like control is an illusion. For sure. And I am very good at creating that feeling, that illusion. And sometimes it teeters towards like true power and true control. And I crave that when like that f- the full force of that reality comes alive. Um, but very rarely in anybody's life does control exist. Yeah. So even in vanilla relationships where one's like a little bit more dominant or even if it's egalitarian, there's semblances of control that go back and forth and it's fairly fluid. Um, and dominance in itself is also very fluid. Submission is also very fluid. It's a, it's a seesaw oftentimes. 
because we were talking before we got on here, you're talking about like, this is my life. This is what I love. Like, would you ever be comfortable in a more um, balanced part of the seesaw or is it majority have to be you being dominant for you to be comfortable? Um, I think like for people who know me, they often say like I oscillate between extremes. I don't think I am a submissive person. I think that's pretty clear about my personality. But I think I'm someone who I also am open and interested in experiencing instances where I'm not making choices, right? That doesn't necessarily mean I'm submissive. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying you're like, you You know, it's like a fat kid on a seesaw with you where it's just like they launch you in the air or it goes, you know, like, but, you know, maybe a little balance. Does balance ever really exist in a person? <laughs> Maybe I I personally don't relate to that. Unfortunately, I don't relate to it. Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, I think I've always been someone who like craves a certain intensity of like meaning and experiences in life. So, how would you handle someone who's equally as intense as you are? Would that just not work? Oh, we would have a lot of fun. (laughs) I think it's that. (laughs) Let's see where it goes. Would it be one of those things where like, oh, this is going to burn out real fast, but it's going to be real fun till it does? Oh, uh, I mean, it depends, right? Like what kind of intensity? Like, what do you mean by that? Uh, I, I once had a sub say to me, we get along like a house on fire. <laughs> I was like, you're totally right. It's like domestic, but it's so passionate. How long will this fire last for? I don't know. But like, I'm so present in this moment and let's like explore this journey. Nice. That's it. Yeah. Nice. I want to rewind a little bit because you said like one of the things that could put at the shrine is food. Yes. What are people buying you? Like what? I what love your go-to meals. I love a good tasting menu. I love a good tasting menu. So in New York, Oishimi. Uh, yeah, no, no, Oishimi. It's a Yoshino's is the best like omakase I've been to ever. And I like it specifically because there's two brands of sake that is exclusive to that restaurant. They only came to the U.S. for the chef. It was it's like actually one of the best, like, yeah, omakase tasting menus I've ever had in my life, and some of the best sake I've had in my life. Um, other tasting menus, um, I like Bomb. It's behind Oijimi, uh, and it's a Korean. It's a Korean fusion. Um, tasting menu they have one dish I talked to the client about it and he was um, he said it's too heavy for him but I disagree they have this like wagyu steak that's topped with like uni that I thought really just melted in my mouth and it paired really well with the red wine that we had um, he did he thought it was too heavy though but I, I like things a little bit heavier I like things a little bit creamier is, is that one of the situations where you just tell him he's wrong no he's totally like allowed to have his opinions. I oh, know. I was a yeah. <laughs> that was completely a dumb joke. Like, no, you're just wrong here. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, but no. Uh, yeah, and I went to bomb. How many times have I gone there? I twice at this point. That's pretty good. Um, for cocktails, Shinji's. It's a smaller. Um, it's a smaller bar, but it's, it's sort of like gorgeous, like dark interior, uh, indoor space. And they have like a really interesting, oh, what is it? It's like a deconstructed, like, what is it? Like, it's a deconstructed, like, martini, I believe. I might be totally wrong about that. 
That night was a little bit blurry, so don't quote me on it. <laughs> is there alcohol involved? Oh, no. There was a bit. <laughs> like, I knew what I was drinking when I started. By the end of this, who knows? Mm. I, I've definitely had those nights in New York. I was just like, oh, I got real drunk here. Yeah, yeah. The, the alcohol there tasted so fucking good. Like, it was really, really spectacular. Really good cocktails. My go-to, like, cocktail spot in New York is... Out in uh, Queens, uh, Dutch Kills in Long Island City. Oh, yeah, yeah. That place is fucking amazing. Uh-huh. Are you a big foodie? Uh, I'm fat. I, <laughs> I, it's like one of those things where, like, I appreciate a good meal. I wouldn't call myself a fucking foodie. Like, it's not like, oh, my God, the umami flavor of, you know. But mm-hmm. it's also like I 100% when I travel judge places on the food. Like, I've been to Amsterdam, and I'm just like, Amsterdam kind of sucks. The food here sucks. Mm. I'm going to Amsterdam in uh, two weeks, actually. Is that Expos or? Expos, yeah. And I'm also doing some shoots there. I'm excited for it. Have you, have you ever been? I've never been. Um, so I'm hopping to London first, and then I'm going to Amsterdam after. You're just like bad food destinations on that one. Uh, actually, London, there's a few good restaurants. No, the, uh, to be fair, I actually had a couple good meals in, in London. I, I forgot what the place, name of the place was. I, won't, I mean, it's also been like 10 years. I went to some place in Soho that did Wild Game. Mm. You gotta give me the name of that. I will have to like look at my Instagram stories from ten years ago. And I'm a big food tourist. <laughs> like I got zebra while I was in London. Mm. Oh, zebra! Yeah. What did it taste like? A little gamey, but it was good. Oh, interesting. How is it different from like other types of horse-like meat? Ah, uh, seeing as I've, well, actually, I've had a bunch of them now that I think about it because I had. Uh, Springbok, Kudu, and Zebra while I was in South Africa. Mm. I had Zebra in London. I had Horse in Japan. Uh, it, I mean, it was good. It was a little gamey. Uh, it was like prepared as a steak. It was like a 500 gram steak. It was good. Mm-hmm. It, it was one of the better meals I had in London. Like a lot of okay, a lot of the food in London was just like eh, it was pub grub. It was like it it scratched the itch, but it wasn't like oh my god, I would recommend going to this place. Yeah, I agree. I think LA and New York has pretty f- good food in terms of like the US. Um, Chicago's an amazing town to get fat in. I've been to Chicago and I've like traveled there quite frequently. It's, I feel like it's okay. I don't know. Am I not going to the right places? What are your recommendations? Oh, well, I mean, it depends on what you, what are you looking for in Chicago? Um, right now I'm still on my tasting menu, like, you know, journey. So tasting menus. Okay. Well, because, like, a lot of what is great in Chicago is, like, there are some amazing Michelin star restaurants. Yeah, I've been to Alinea. That was pretty... Nice. That was pretty good, yeah. But a lot of the, like, mom-and-pop Italian places are fucking amazing in Chicago. You know what? I did have, like, um, one of the best hot dogs I've had was in Chicago, though. It's a little hole-in-the-wall place. It's, like, a local staple. Don't remember the name because I'm terrible. I remember the names of, like... Did the staff insult you? They did not, but it was a really good hot dog. <laughs> okay, well, because there's a place in Lincoln Park called the Wiener Circle uh-huh. that is famous for the staff berating people. Like it's a, just a tiny hot dog stand, and all in all, you're going to get good hot dogs in Chicago because Vienna beef hot dogs are superior to almost any other hot dog. <laughs> it's like the Chicago staple hot dog. Vienna beef is so serious about their hot dogs when they moved their factory locations, they realized the recipe in the new location didn't taste right because there was some bacteria from like the when they opened the original factory in like the 1900s that would affected the flavor of the hot dog and they had to import that bacteria from the old factory to the new factory to get the flavor right. Mm, okay. Like, that's how serious they are about it. Wow. <laughs> uh, born and raised in Chicago, so like... 
Oh, you were. Yeah. Got it. Have you seen The Bear? I have. I really like that show. I do too. I, I anxiety inducing. Did you ever uh, work in restaurants? Um, I've never had any experience working at restaurants. Oh yeah. And then my extent of restaurant experience was like I delivered pizzas in my early twenties. Yeah. Actually, wait. No, I did. Um, I did. Uh, I did do waitressing like one summer in college. Yeah. And I remember that place because they had a uni pasta that I loved. And every time the staff in the back would make extras for it, that would be like my meal for for the day. And I would have like takeout to like eat it for the next like however long. I see uni is a reoccurring theme. I love uni. It's so good. It's just like my, I was um, in a little Tokyo recently and they were selling these like uni boxes. And I was like, should I just for dinner buy a whole box and just eat it? Like, Might as well. I know. I'm like, it's a little gross, though. <laughs> to who? <laughs> to myself. <laughs> I was like, man, this, this you know what? Fuck it, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll 100% do it. should do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a whole uni box. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, you never know like the situation, like how sustainable some of the seafood's going to be. You might as well enjoy it while you fucking can. Oh, God, uni's so good. Who knows in 20 years of like, this shit's going to be readily available still. That's true. I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole about Japanese eels. Like uh-huh. the other day of like how there's a giant black market for eels. Oh, interesting. Because Japan's eel production's down like something like 80% from the 80s. Because they don't know how to actually birth them in captivity. They have to. I've heard about that. Yeah. They have to you know farm uh, glass eels, which are baby eels, and then raise them in farms. Uh-huh. And it's, there's such a high demand for eel in Japan that like it's eel can go for something like. $35,000 for like a couple pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Up to, so it's like, I'm sure people in the 80s and 90s were never like, oh my God, this may run out one day. <laughs> so fucking enjoy it now. You never know. Okay. Here, here I go. After this, I'm going to buy a big box of uni. Right. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you, as you said earlier in the show, it's like, we're only here for a limited time. Why deny yourself? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Like, who, who are you worried about judging you on eating the box of uni? Who? Are- <laughs> You're totally right. Like, it's like a big box of uni, though. You should like see it. It's like it's pretty big. Well, send me pictures. I- you have my number. Like, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> send me pictures, but I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm going to judge you if you don't do it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, I might get a little sick if I eat that much uni, though. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Future problems. <laughs> Those are all future problems. <laughs> like if you get a little sick, you're like, ah, oh, shit. Okay, I know my limits. It's like, it's like drinking too much. You're like, some nights you go out, you go real hard, and you get a little sick. You're like, okay, I shouldn't drink that much. Mm. You know, this is wor- words of the wise. Where? <laughs> fucking nah. Trial and error. Like, fuck around and find out is really a good thing. Sometimes. I think I know that eating a whole box of uni is going to get me sick, though. Like, I think I know that, which is why I didn't do it. I mean, how do you know? How do you know for certain? It's like it's it's like drinking, right? If you know you drink a certain amount, you're going to get sick. It's like okay, you have a whole box of uni. It's a big box of uni, and that's a, the only thing you're going to eat at like 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> I don't know. Alrighty, there's yeah. only one way to find out. Yeah, okay, maybe I'll see. I'll see what my where my pendulum swings and how moody I am when I decide. <laughs> well, I I wholeheartedly encourage you at least to like put a healthy dent in it. 
Get the box. But just, you know, be like, eat till you're like comfortable. And then be like, okay, well, I have extra uni. <laughs> I don't know how well uni keeps, but. It doesn't really keep super well. That's why. Yeah. Find a friend, make a friend, get half a box. Of, like, yo, we're going to get a giant box of uni. Like, road trip. <laughs> so, on the. <laughs> Are we getting back to kinky questions? <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, okay. <laughs> is it is this out of outside of your comfort zone to be like, oh my God, we're not just talking about kink? Oh, no, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. I know you're going to London, you're going to Amsterdam. Is there anything you're excited to try in Amsterdam? Have you looked, done any research? I have not done any research. I know I want to go to the red light district and I want to like experience it fully. And that, that's basically it. It doesn't look the same as it did like pre-COVID. Oh, like how is... From what I understand, down? because that real estate's so valuable, like they started moving people inside to like more of a like Nordic style brothel system. And uh, I, I'm I'm stoked that I got to see it in 2017. Yeah, like people in the windows and all yeah. that. That's what I wanted to experience. I didn't know they were moving people inside. Yeah, I guess because post-COVID, like they, they realized oh like, God. oh, that real estate's way too valuable to like be the red light district anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was told. I don't know firsthand. I, they could still be mid-transition. Who, who knows? When you get there, though, or, and if it is like it was, you're going you're gonna to purchase? I want to, yeah. That's I. I want to experience the whole thing. I want to like, you know, be on the client side of things. Um, I went to a strip club for the first time recently, and I gotta say, being on the side where you're paying, it's like kind of it's kind of exhilarating. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I definitely want to. I want to do the red light district thing and see someone and see what's see what's up. So what's your type? What are you buying? Who are you buying? Not I don't know. I mean, like I might like even let myself kind of bottom for a little bit and just like see what kind of like doms are there and experience that. Like literally be on the side of like what my subs usually go through. I'm a little nervous about it though because I'm like, I know what can go wrong. <laughs> um, other than that, I mean, for vanilla experiences, I... Yeah, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm into the vanilla experience. I, I want to like a BDM some experience. Okay, okay. Right, so you're yeah, not yeah, just yeah. be like that blonde girl, her. Yeah, I mean, maybe. maybe. I'm not. I'm not like, you know, scratching that off the the roster. Okay. Well, if you're just going purely on physical appearance, and you're just like that one in the window, who are you picking out? Like, describe. describe I, you know, what? I wanna. I wanna go for someone who's like, who looks a little like. Like unique and like maybe like like alien. I don't know. Like a little melancholy. A little some like why are you here? It makes me like question. Like what's your story? You're trying to go. What for, are you doing? You're trying to go for the sex worker who's like, oh, you look like you haven't gotten a lot of business in the last couple hours. Like, <laughs> I want to go for like the mysterious one. You know, like the one that's sort of like gazing into the distance for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one physical appearance that like. I like, I, I genuinely mean this. I like um, all sorts of bodies and it's, I like experiencing like, and seeing like all sorts of bodies too. Okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. You say that a lot. <laughs> a lot of stuff I say, nothing wrong with it. Well, yeah. I, Are you like implying that you have a specific type or like you're- Well, very, I mean, I, I yeah. have, I have definitely slept with multiple people that are of a different spectrum. And, but it's like one of those things where like, if you were like, hey, draw the person that like you want to bang first and foremost, like I'm generally attracted to redheads with big tits. Okay. Okay. Like that, that's just like, 
Has all my partners been that? Not by a long shot. Uh huh. I think I'm like, um, so I'm primarily for like porn and attraction. I, I primarily like read hentai, like read hentai, like manga style hentai. Um, and a lot of like right the, to left. Uh, yeah, I mean it's on it's on the phone, so oh, okay. it goes. You're not, you're not up. I'm, I'm like clicking the page. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like clicking the page. I'm just like, oh, are you breaking out the paperbacks? Oh, I mean, I would if I if I have like enough space in my place, but I already have so much manga in my in my like office. Yeah, and I think growing up with like 2D porn and then having like 2D interests and fantasies has sort of like really like influenced like how I perceive like 3D bodies. Yeah. And like how, what kind of things attract me to it. And because I grew up with like hentai primarily, a lot of the attraction is psychological, like first and foremost. And I have an interest in like what bodies can do in general. And like, again, like how I can push it, like what, what happens to it, what buttons I can press. Yeah. About to say it again. I was, I was about to caught myself. <laughs> How were you exposed to hentai? Like, did where did you where did you stumble across it? At first, it was actually like YouTube video. Like back in the day, before like YouTube had all this like censorship stuff, um, it was on YouTube, and then it was like a it was a video. And how did I even come across the hentai sites I I watch now? It. I think I probably was like searching for really specific tags for interests and like some sites popped up. And I think as we all do, we kind of like explore the the web and try to figure out which site is for me, you know, and And just fall down the rabbit hole and yeah, fall down the rabbit hole. And then there I am. Yeah. I guess a Roskadoji is technically hentai. What is it? Uh, A Roskadoji is, it was was an anime anti like, that I saw on VHS randomly in the nineties, like mm-hmm. and a lot of tentacle. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one before. I think my first like full length hentai film was uh black Bible. Okay. Yeah. And it was like Futanari tentacles, like fairly taboo um, taking place at a school. Are you searching it up right now? I, I'm, I'm, Orozco Doji, Legend of the Overfiend. It is from 1989. Wow. I did not see it in 89. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was one of those things like, apparently, I didn't realize it came out in 89, but, you know, somehow got like, and it washed up on my shore in like 96 or 97. Mm-hmm. But also like growing up, things like Ninja Scroll, Ghost in the Shell, all the, like the animes yeah, were yeah. popular with a lot of my friends. So, of course, the things that skewered a little more sexual were you a like geek growing up, oh, a yeah. nerd? Uh huh. Oh yeah. Did you watch a lot of anime? A little bit. Like, I was much more of like role playing games, like comic nerd. A little bit of anime, but it was just like, you know, I definitely enjoyed Ninja Scroll. Definitely enjoyed Ghost in the Shell. But like, because of the social circles, that all, you know, you're like, oh, dude, you gotta check this out. <laughs> what was your fa- favorite anime? Definitely have like a soft spot for Ninja Scroll. Like I, uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. Like. At the time, Ghost in the Shell, like, I watched it a bunch of times. I just didn't get it as a kid. Mm. I was like, what's going, I don't, what's going on here? Mm. I just couldn't follow it. Mm. But this is also at the point where, like, I was a dumb kid. I wanted to watch things that were dubbed. Like, people, 
Subtitles are the way. Don't don't watch dub things. Subtitles are the way. <laughs> I, I don't, as an adult, as a fucking adult, I don't understand people that are like, oh, I want dubbed. Like, no, you're going to miss the nuances of the actual performance. Even if you don't understand the words, you're going to miss the proper vocal reflection of the performance watching a fucking dub. Mm-hmm. Never, it's never right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I grew up watching subbed anime my whole entire life. And then I uh, only watch dub when I want to like convince my friends to watch anime because they're like, I don't want to read words while like I'm missing the show. I was like, okay, well. These people shouldn't be your friends. We can start with dubbed and then I'll convince you. It's as easy as that. <laughs> I think you should just end the friendship over that. Uh, yeah. You want dubbed? No. No. I have higher standards than that. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Are you a child? Do you not know how to read? Can you not read the words fast enough as they come up on screen? Uh. <laughs> a great example then recent times is fucking Squid Game. Like, from what I understand, a lot of shit was I watched it subtitled, a lot of shit was lost in the dub translation. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And how that's modern. How much shit is being lost in like older content where the internet wasn't there to fact check it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure like, even, I mean, subbed even misses nuances too. When I was growing up watching anime, um, it wasn't just one line of subtitles. It would also have like two other lines on the top where there's like two other translations of the same line. And that was like, that was a version I was used to reading growing up where there's kind of almost sometimes like a wall of text and it's translated not by a company, it's translated by fans um, because I, I grew up with like illegal, you know, like anime. You pirated you. I pirated all my anime. And so it's these fans who like love the language and love the show. And they like spent the time to like be like, this is the experience you should be experiencing through the language. And I think that actually quite influenced. I, I was a big reader growing up. I still am. But like also reading subtitles and seeing that on the screen and interacting not just with the medium, but also with the translator and that relationship with the translator really continued into my life until now. Yeah. What were some of the enemies like you really got into? Like what really spoke to you? Oh my God. Here, here we go. Here's my list. Um, okay. So growing up, my favorite animes were Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. Okay. I loved Steins Gate. Um, uh, Fate Zero. Um, I really liked um, Made in Abyss is more recent actually, but that's really, really good. Um, and I also really liked uh, Psychopath season one. So those are like kind of the shows that I grew up with. I really enjoy. I also, I mean, I also like some of the classics like Death Note, Attack on Titan. Um, I'm which, feeling old that those are classics. I mean, they've been going on for so long. I know. You know? It makes me feel old. Like, <laughs> I remember when that shit was like coming out new and it's like, well, or relatively new to me. Seems like a long time ago. It's like. Those are classics. Fuck. That's like saying Nirvana's on classic radio. <laughs> That's true. Um, there's also, uh, what, what's some like older anime? Um, there's some like really, these are more like exper- experimental anime. So like there's a, what is it called? Like Lane, like Serial Experiments Lane. Um, that's, I'm not getting the title correct, but that's one that I remember watching. And I think I should rewatch it because it was a little bit, um, I think at the time too complicated for me. Yeah. Get on it. <laughs> yeah. Like we can call the episode. You can go watch. No, I'm not. I'm 
We're not going to call the podcast so you can go watch anime right this second. <laughs> not right this second. Have you ever been to Japan? I have not. It's on my list. Actually, I might go end of this year. You should. It's yeah. still on sale. Oh, it is? So the, the dollar to the yen is really strong. Mm-hmm. Like, it, stronger than it's been in a long fucking time. I, I went again in November last year, and it's just like, oh, shit's on sale. It, it was great. I, sorry, audience, because every time Japan comes up, they're just like, oh, here we go. Mm. It's my happy place. Like, it's the only place in the world I've gone to multiple times. Mm. I Yeah, I think I'm the, the likelihood of me going to Japan end of this year is actually pretty high. It's like, it's like higher than 80% at this point because I'll be in East Asia anyway. What's the determining factor that makes it 20% that you might not go? Uh, Kind of, to be honest, my moodiness. Like, do I want to be away from New York for longer? I've been traveling so much this year that, like, time at home is really valuable now. It's, it's it Literally, it's just my mood. Like, I might buy a flight in three days because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And the motivation is high enough that day that it happens. Or I procrastinate on it and it doesn't happen because it's like motivation is not high enough. In my humble opinion, I know we've just met, go. Especially if you're already going to be in East Asia. Like, why fucking do a, almost a 20-hour flight from New York? Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it, to be honest. It's but if like, you're already there? Yeah, but it's like 20 hours where I can, like, relax, too. It's not too big of a deal. But if you're... Uh, hey. Yeah, I, I think I'm at a point where sometimes convenience doesn't trump, like, what I like. Yeah, I know it's convenient, but maybe I don't want that. Fair. Uh-huh. Fair. <laughs> I'm just saying, in my humble opinion, you won't regret it. I know I won't. I'll, I'll go. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, I look forward to hearing how you like it because it, Tokyo is just a fucking magical place. Yeah, I heard great things about it. It's literally, imagine... Manhattan density with LA sprawl. Mm. But the fear of violent crime is almost non-existent and you actively have to like try to get a bad meal. It's so hard Mm. in three trips. I think I've had two meals that I didn't think were amazing. And these are just random spots. Mm. It's not like, Oh my God, I'm going to like this world renowned sushi spot or something. It's just like, no, that place looks cool. Oh, that was rad. Yeah. I love that. Like when, the quality of food is just like pretty, pretty good in general. We went like on a trip. We were there in 2016, me and some buddies. We went to like some random like rice bowl spot and yeah, there could be a raw egg to crack over your rice bowl and crack the egg. And one of my buddies who like lived on a farm, he's like, I don't understand this, man. I raise chickens and this egg's better. Oh my God. That sounds so fucking good. Like that raw egg. That sounds amazing. I would. Yeah. Like nothing like the equivalent of like, Five, six dollars US of a fucking rice bowl with an egg that you crack over, a fresh egg you crack over it. Like, it's so good. Oh my God. Yeah. Is Japan like the food place for you? It, it definitely is up there. Okay. I also want to visit like Kyoto and some of the like lesser traveled cities too. But I think for my first time, probably just Tokyo to explore. It's one of those things where like I keep telling myself, like, oh, I want to go to Kyoto. I want to, you know, I want to go out and like see other parts of the country. And there's just so much shit going on in Tokyo that it's just like, oh, well, I've been here for a week. I've been in the same, like, five districts. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, huh, that's Shady Alley. What's down there? Oh, hey, cool things. <laughs> Did you go to any of the animal cafes? 
I have not, sadly. Like I really want to try those out. Like a nice capybara cafe or like a cat cafe or any any of the other ones, really. Owl, otter. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. I did go to a bar with penguins in it. You did? Yeah. Did you touch them? So they're they're behind glass, unfortunately. The Fuck. Penguin. Okay, I really, I want to squeeze a penguin. Like, I, I want to give like a big penguin a hug and just like feel that, you know? I, I got to say the penguin bar was a weird experience. It was, Yeah. Well, first and foremost, they didn't really want to service in the first place because visible tattoos at the time. Ah, oh, okay. Like, I was there with my tattoo artist who has face and neck tattoos. Like, uh, I didn't know to cover up. Yeah, face tattoos would, I mean, like, uh, tattoos in general, but, like, face tattoos really. Yeah, like, face, neck, like, yeah. completely covered. And the the door guy's just like, oh, we're full right now. Come back in a couple hours. Mm. So we bummed around, like, hit some cafes and, like, came back hours, a couple hours later. He was just like, oh, fine. They sat us down. <laughs> Like they literally served, about us, it. they served us one drink and then like passed us the check and pretty much we're like, and now you got to go. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, I learned on that trip is like, oh, the taxi thing's really serious. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's no fucking joke. Uh, trips two and three. Like I just remain covered up cause I can, you know, if I wear long sleeves, I'm fine. Yeah. Zero problems. First trip, I, as I said, I was there with my tattoo artist who has face and neck tattoos and like we got, Refuse service in no less than like 10 places. Hmm. Even in places like Rapungi, which is, you know, more caters to Westerners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's your tattoo of, by the way? Oh, just this is a whole whole mess of a half sleeve. And Oh, God. Cool. Yeah. This is actually all done by the guy I went to Japan with. Uh-huh. And then I have other ones, various other places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. For the audio audience, well, this originally started off with the the sword and the skull right up here, like when I was eighteen, and then the Oni mascot added years later. Then the hourglass, then the card, or the cards, then the hourglass. I don't remember at this point. Are you going to finish your sleeve? Uh, I might at this point. Like there was a number of years where it was like, oh, I have a real life job. Like I have a corporate job. I don't, you have I, a corporate job. I did at one point. Oh, okay. What did you do? Uh, so for a number of years, I worked for an armed security company, but like the last handful of years I was there, I was in mid-level management and I traveled around helping perform, deal with underperforming branches. Yeah. So it's just like, at that point I had to shave my mohawk off. I had to like keep my beard fairly well trimmed. And it was just like, oh, they're probably going to frown on like, there's there, there's a whole points in my life where it's just like dip my toe in shit. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm gonna get tattoos, but I'm gonna get them so they're concealable in case I want to, you know, go into the fucking square world. Yeah. And at this point it's too far gone. Like but I still act like, oh, maybe one day I'll be in Square Land again. It's like, <laughs> motherfucker, I have an AVN nomination. Like I was on Showtime accepting a fucking AVN. Like, I don't think I can go back at this point. Mm. Why would you want to go back anyway? You know, it's a little bit miserable on the other side from what I can see. Oh yeah. No, I, I, it would never be going back out of want. It would be out of necessity. Mm. It'd be like, Oh shit. This ain't working out so good. Uh, guess I'm going to go back to court. Yeah. Let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) I can't imagine. I honestly can't imagine going back to like that world. Oh, I, I have zero desire to, I mean, when I quit that job in 2014, like I didn't have anything else lined up. I just was so burnt out and it was just like, fuck this. This I'm making, yeah, I was making six figures, but it's at the end of the day, it's like, 
oh, this is not like amazing. Yes, it is over over the median income of most people in America. Yes, I was comf- making comfortable money. But at the end of the day, it's just like I'm miserable for above slightly above average money. It's not like I'm fucking wealthy. Mm-hmm. So why the fuck am I doing this? Yeah. So I walked the fuck away from it. Yeah. Sometimes money costs too much and an amount does not necessarily mean like more happiness. And I think that's really important to discern. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. I think there was a study. I don't know how accurate it is now, but it's like at the point where you make over 70,000 a year, it's diminishing returns on the happiness. I don't think that's true from experience, to be honest. Um, but I think everyone has a different amount where uh, after that certain point, it is dimish- diminishing returns. Um, but it's different for everyone. Yeah. For like sure. what that cost is and the work is. Yeah. 100% at the point where like, you don't have to worry about like how you're going to you know pay your rent or all that shit. Money does buy happiness. It does. Yeah. <laughs> but it absolutely does. There's a point where it's just like, I, I know firsthand, like when I was making that kind of money, it's just like, Oh, I could take trips and do whatever the fuck I wanted. But it also was kind of isolating at times because none of my peers were making that much money at that point. So it's like, hey, guys, someone want to go to Australia? Like, I'm going to go to Australia. And no one had the money to go with. And Yeah. How did you deal with that? Did you hide the amount of money you were making or did you navigate it differently? Did you make a new circle of people? No, I just did shit by myself. Mm. I just, I'm very much like, I will invite people. I will try to integrate my friends into what I want to do. But if they don't want to do it and it's something I want to do, I'm just going to fucking do it. Mm-hmm. I went mm-hmm. to Australia by myself. When I went to Japan last year, I went by myself. Nobody, mm-hmm. I asked a bunch of people what they wanted to go. Uh, they all hemmed and hawed. I bought my fucking ticket and I went. Yeah. I think that's something that like I've been thinking about. Sort of like how do you navigate social spaces financially, especially if you – Sometimes like outgrow the initial circles. Um, I don't think there's any easy answers. No, there yeah. there definitely isn't because it's like you don't want to just base your friendships on like how much money do you make? Like yeah, but, but it, the access is different. Um, and I also think that it's very similar to like just normal relationships, right? Like you are growing together or you're in the same place together, and navigating that it can be a little tricky for people oh, oh it definitely is tricky because it's one of those things like there are some people that mean the fucking world to me but it's like oh we have very different lives at this point so we have grown up grown apart and like mm-hmm. that is unfortunately part of life i want to do my best to like if it's a financial situation to not discriminate like try to find things that we could still do together be you know part of each other's lives mm-hmm. and yes it's a bummer and it definitely bummed me out to like not experience a lot of those things with people i cared about like mm-hmm. but i also don't want to resent them being like i'm gonna buy your whole fucking trip and then have a weird power dynamic on vacation exactly exactly yeah like it's tough it's tough it's a it's a difficult thing to navigate and you know i i lucked out for a little while there like a couple years later most of those friends we're in better positions to be able to travel. So a bunch of us were traveling together for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Ooh. I had someone tell me that they have a big friend group and they have a spreadsheet of like every, like tr- totally transparent, everyone's like salaries and means. And then they would tier the the trip 
on a percentage basis by like what they can afford on a percentage basis, which I'm sort of like, I mean, it's like egalitarian, but then you never want to be the guy at the top. (laughs) Definitely not. And like, it's one of those things where like, I'm willing to compromise with friends. Like there were definitely some trips that turned out to be a lot of fun that were not like my first choice destination. Me and that group of friends ended up going to Columbia in 2018. Mm-hmm. If you had been like, do you want to go to Columbia? Just cold. I've been like, nah, I'm cool. Columbia wasn't appealing on paper. It was a lot of fun when we actually got there. Columbia was pretty fucking rad, actually. Yeah. And I'm willing to make those compromises. But if it was just like, <sighs> that was what it also was within everyone's means to do. Mm-hmm. There's some things I'm just not willing to compromise. I'll, as I said, I'll just go by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in Amsterdam, the rest of my friends couldn't afford to extend out their trip. I went to fucking Finland for a couple of days by myself. Oh, how's Finland? Helsinki's rad. Like, I'm kind of bummed okay. I only got a couple of days there. Okay, maybe I should go. <laughs> I'm traveling too much, though. My issue is, like, I'm traveling too much. I'm, like, a little... Like, have you you've had, have you ever had travel fatigue? Yes, but I also did admit it to myself for a while there. And then, like, so before I quit that job, in 2014, I flew 149,000 miles uh-huh. and had 300 nights of Marriott properties that year. 300? Uh-huh. That's like the whole year. Uh-huh. Did, did you have, a, like, did, did you have your, a, your own place? No, my shit was in storage. Okay. Like, I was traveling so much for work, and the company's policy at that time was you could travel home on weekends. They didn't really monitor me very well, so I just went wherever I wanted on weekends. Yeah. When my lease was up in May of 13, I just put my shit in storage mm-hmm. and just went wherever the fuck I wanted. You were living that nomadic, like, like work from home life before anyone else did it. <laughs> yeah. It, literally, like, have you ever seen the movie Up in, up in the Air with George Clooney? No. Okay. It's, that movie, it's really funny to me because it's like, I saw it when it first came out and that was before I was like living the nomadic travel, like full-time travel life. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a funny comedy. And then, after living that life, like, oh, this hits too hard. This, <laughs> this is too real. This is too real. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. How did you recover from that? Because I'm, I, I need to cut down on travel, um, but it's a little impossible to uh, sometimes with my, with my life. I just quit my job and didn't. And didn't you, just, you just stopped? <laughs> I just, I, I, what were we talking about before I got in here? Sometimes I burn out and then just stop doing shit. And uh-huh. then, that was one of those moments. I was like, holy fuck. Like, I've, been in an airport twice a week, every week for like the last couple of years. I was oh. on a first name basis with the shoeshine guy at LAX. Wow. <laughs> like on Mondays, I would just get my boots shined. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was, I don't regret doing it. I still, to this day, travel for free on some of the miles I, I banked up. Holy shit. Like Japan was completely on those miles. I still have Marriott points that I I've been squirreling away for a good day. Part of the reason why I want to, I have been doing more digital is to have more control over my time and travel. Just like, I, I think like last year, it was really tempting when a sub was like, okay, I'm going to fly you to XYZ for two to three days. And I'm like, great, we'll love to go. You know, I get paid to just sometimes like more or less vacation. And now I really like, the incentive for me having to leave my my home and my routine and a life that I quite like and love has to be a lot higher. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. It, 
it's one of those things where I'm like just cutting down on travel to do more digital something yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's one of those things where like when I first was traveling full time, it was like, this is amazing. I can go wherever I want. I'm seeing all this shit. Like Exactly. And then after what it took three years of full time travel before I really burnt out, I used to refer to it as guest starring in my own life. Because mm. it wasn't as much as the travel that burned me out. It was more the like when I got home and would see my friends. They'd all have been interacting with each other. They've all, you know, been in each other's lives. They all have inside jokes and experiences that I'm not a part of at this point. Mm-hmm. And that was difficult. Mm. And because of it being the era that we're in, people don't check in on you as much because they have your social media updates. They know what they think they know what's going on with you, so they don't need to put a call in to see what's actually going on. Even mm-hmm. though it's like this is highly curated, what is being posted to social media. Mm-hmm. So that that started to suck. Honestly, every time I came home is what made it harder to get back on a plane. Mm. As long as I didn't stop, it was pretty much okay. Mm-hmm. I hope you have like community. Um, it's it's it is hard to have community when you're traveling and you have a group of friends that's like set in one place. Yeah, yeah, that's very very true. Yeah, I also have. Um, I also still have like some civilian friends and sometimes it's really hard for me to like relate or like talk about like, Hey, like I'm, I'm going to this place, like I'm going to Amsterdam for this thing, you know? And it's also sometimes hard to like explain this part of my life. And I think it's something I'm working through. Yeah. But it's also grounding to have oh, I agree. civilian friends. I think everyone should have some civilian friends. Mm-hmm. Like I very much thought it was like, a thing that was some of my friends that like know me from back from Chicago. It's like, please don't call me by my stage name. Please don't like, like it wears me out. Like you've known me for this long. Call me by my real fucking name. Mm-hmm. It, it's grounding, especially for people that like are completely away from entertainment, away from the public eye. I think it's important to have those people in your life. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about you saying that though, um, because I started in the in-person space and like the in-person space, like it was in like, authentic like extension of myself like there was there's been a lot of moments where like Tomi is the realest part of myself like people who know Tomi know me more and better than anyone else because they get it what is the self right like like on a like like deeper feel like what is the self like isn't the self just like what you perform you know like at what point does the mask become like the performer too and I think it's it there's an interplay between the two oftentimes and yeah, it's been interesting thinking about that as I do more digital work. A lot of friends you make within like entertainment, the industry, and all that stuff may not call you on your bullshit. Mm. And I, I think it's comforting to have friends that like knew me from when it's like, fuck you, dude. What are you doing? Okay. Like that's important. Give me an example. Give me an example. <sighs> oh, just one of my old friends I think recently called me on, you know, some poor dick choices I was making. Okay. Or no one, no one in, you know, around here would bat an eye. It's just like hooking up with someone who, you know, there's a bit of an age gap. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, she's hot. She fucks good. Uh, mm-hmm. And no one here is just like, yeah, go for it, dude. And one of my friends just got like, really, dude? Really? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing here? Like, what, what do you, what are you, what are you expecting to come of this? Yeah. Eh, that's fair. I mean, I was 
orgasms really were what I was expecting to come of it. But you're just like not thinking, like all the blood was rushing somewhere else. Yeah, like, <laughs> as I said, poor dick choices. <laughs> the post nut clarity is real sometimes. It's good to have people like that who can call you out. Right, like, those are the trusted friends. Like you're when people can call you out on that, and there's enough like relationship built where you know that they are there for you, even if you disagree, even if there's a fight. That's so incredibly, incredibly like valuable. I agree. And honestly, I'm not going to fight with most of my friends if they, you know, disagree with me on something. There's like, these are people that have been in my life for a long time. And it's like, I trust your judgment. I may not agree with your judgment, but I value it enough to not be like, fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Also, examine our history together and examine like what shit they've gone through. Their advice is colored by their personal experiences and may not be the best for my situation here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm not going to fight with them about it. Yeah. Definitely like, have had old friends, you know, who have had messy breakups, have had people cheat on them and then like give me relationship advice where it's just like, when I took a step back from like, oh no, that is completely colored by your ex who really fucked you over. Mm-hmm. You were just applying your life experience. And that's what we do. I mean, that's what we do as humans. We apply our life experience to situations. Yeah. Which is why I think it's important to expand life experiences. I agree. In whatever way. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, I often say like one of the biggest problems with America is not enough Americans get out of America and see how other people live. Mm-hmm. Like we would have much more empathy for other people and much more of an understanding of like how other people go through this world. Mm-hmm. If we actually went and saw it with our own fucking eyes. Yeah. Do you ever like, so we can apply that on like a cultural level with different countries and traveling. Do you ever apply that to like yourself with like, like what we were talking earlier with kinks and fetishes, like to sexual experiences and what your body can do and what, like how it'll change your relationship with yourself. If you experience certain sensations or certain experiences. You're not going to peg me. I'm not trying to. I, 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 I'm completely <laughs> joke. I was completely me deflecting and just making a stupid joke. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I haven't really given it any thought because it was just, it's nothing that's crossed my mind of like, oh, hey, this is appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So it's not, nothing I've really dove down the rabbit hole of exploring because it's just like, I just never, it's never crossed my mind. Is there space to be surprised just to give it a try? <sighs> In the right situation, but it's not something like I'd seek out. Like, it's one of those things where, like, if I was involved with someone and they'd be like, oh, hey, I'd like to try this. It would really turn me on. There's a much more, a much higher probability that I would say yes to that than being like, fuck it. Let's go to the dungeon. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I, what if turned on is not the like state of being or like the end goal? What if like the experience in itself is, is it, you know, you did something that you didn't think that you could go through and you went through it and it opened your eyes to like what you could possibly go through or how your body reacts or anything like that or how your mind reacts. I don't know. I'm not about tough times. I'm not very hedonistic where it's just like, nah, I'm going to avoid as much struggle as possible. I sometimes think like true hedonists are people who challenge what, pleasure is right they expand the boundaries of pleasure i also identify as a hedonist and i think that's why i'm constantly pushing the circle of like exactly what is pleasure and where it can go 
Yeah. You identify as a dom. How much have you opened yourself up to people expanding your doing expansion on you? Anything I try on a sub, I have tried on myself. Okay. That includes the more extreme things too. Yes. And I can talk about this one instance. The A hard limit for me was full toilet. Um, it's just a difficult thing for my body to go through. It's like a different, difficult experience. To what tr- is that, by the way? Full toilet is when you can um, defecate on command for someone else to eat. And it's uh, you have to train your body to go at regular times. You have to eat certain things. You have to like... And doing it on command is very different from like peeing on command, right? And uh, it was a hard limit for me for a long time because I genuinely think it's disgusting. Like it's just hard for me to do. And I had one guy who really wanted it and I like really trained and practiced for it. I think like that was, I think that's like one of my biggest examples of like expanding what my body can go through and what it can do. And I think it was an interesting experience what was the diet for that, by the way? There's certain foods I have to avoid. Um, collard greens, like spicy foods, um, because I'm lactose intolerant, like no milk. Um, and like really generally like healthy diet of like greens and um, like solids. Um, and I also had to like learn how to time it to know when, it, like how my body digests, how long it takes to digest and also like how my body absorbs it. I oftentimes see like my flesh as a mechanism and this was an instance of it being like a very clear mechanism. Yeah. But again, it had to be the right person. I think he was the right person for it. Timing's everything. Mm-hmm. Timing is always everything. And as I said, if I was involved with the right person and they told me for whatever reason they wanted to try this, I might not say no. Mm. But it's not something I've I've actively I actively seek out like Okay. I think I think that's that is a big difference between us. I actively seek out things that like I um I have not experienced before. Like I I, I do actively seek out like life experience and challenges that really push what I think I ca- I'm capable of. Yeah, and I like seeing that in other people too. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. It's just like talking about sounding, just like I I probably would survive it. I hope. I hope. But You'll survive it. You'll be fine. <laughs> but it, it's not something that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to see if I can. I'd rather push my limits with psychedelics versus, like, physical. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, do you do a lot of psychedelics? A fair amount, actually. Oh, okay. I, especially during the pandemic. Like, I went from doing mushrooms every once in a while to, like, I tripped a lot during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, why did I hold off on this for so long? Like, you know, I had definitely done it. I'd done acid and done shrooms, I, you know, a bunch in my youth and like did it here and there. And then it was just like during the pandemic, there's more and more like studies are showing that like, oh, it helps with depression. It helps reset you with all this shit. It's like I was getting kind of isolated in here. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck it. Let's do a get deep, do a bunch of shrooms and then like. Do not regret in the least bit. Mm, the first time I did shrooms was also during the pandemic. It was really interesting. Oh, it was the very first time? Yeah. I didn't do a lot of uh, drugs. I still don't do too much drugs, actually. But I didn't really get into hard drugs until the pandemic. I wouldn't call shrooms hard drugs. But- yeah, but like any, like like any, I only smoked weed and drank alcohol before the p- pandemic. 
Well, and that's interesting because that's an interesting dichotomy between like you're looking to push your body to the physical max. Yeah, well, see, I started doming in 2019 and then pandemic came in 2020. So this this was a whole journey for me too of like, okay, this is something I'm going to do. And I think I developed this, yeah, this interest of like pushing myself and pushing experiences like over time. Okay. Yeah, and I think the pandemic actually did... I went through like a huge body modification phase on myself during the pandemic. So if you see a picture of me pre-pandemic and you see a picture of me now, totally different look. What all did you change? Uh, everything. Like uh, I started dyeing my hair. I started doing my lashes, like tattoos. I started weightlifting, nails. Before the pandemic, if you saw me walking down the street, you would... Th- like not recognize me as this person now. I actually showed one of my subs a picture of me before I started doming, before 2019. He's like, like he could not tell it was me at all. It was like unrecognizable. Um, I also gained like in muscle mass, like 20 pounds. I was really, really skinny. Um, and now I have like a lot of like lean muscle mass after the pandemic, I just started weightlifting. So I was like, I was experimenting with my body and I was experimenting with like, what would happen if I did this and like how the world would perceive me and how I would interact with people and how that changes. And it's a, there's a big difference. Do you actually care how the world perceives you? I think I'm aware of it. Um, I don't think I would be doing what I do if I cared in such a deep way that it would affect my daily going on, like ongoings. Um, but I'm like aware of how the world perceives me. So like I'm aware that like this industry is stigmatized. I'm aware that BDSM is stigmatized. I'm aware that like a lot of kinks and fetishes, like people have preconceived notions about it. Um, but I don't think uh, those perceptions necessarily like shape who I am outside of like me having to navigate it. That's fucking healthy because so many people are driven by like other people's perceptions, other people. Hell, look at social media. Look at half the negative comments people put on fucking social. Oh, your parents must be so proud. Like, who the fuck is living their life for their parents? I actually think a lot of people live their life for their parents, right? I think it's bad. I think it's a horrible idea. Like, Yeah, I, I don't fault them, though. I actually, like, really understand where when people, like, people are incredible. Like, human beings are incredibly social animals. Like, I understand that, like, perceptions matter. I understand that, like, like being in community, right? Whether... Like it matters in people's like sense of community. It, it can be local, it can be global. You know, it's it, there's like all these like shifting like power dynamics that happen. But, and I think the people who say like, well, "What do your parents think about it?" or you know, conversations about that, I think they value the nuclear family. I think they value, yeah, like conservative, like what your parents will perceive. I think there's a place for that. I actually think I, that's okay. You know, I don't. Um, I honestly don't because it's one of those things like, do you really want to like push yourself down and like, especially if it's going to cause you harm just for the approval of two other fallible humans? Oh, I don't think like it's about approval. Like I don't care about their approval, but I understand where they're coming from. And I think what they lack is understanding where we come from. And that's a, like, it's as simple as like that lack of that, that lack of a bridge on that side. But uh, yeah, I'm not particularly offended by a lot of things that people say um, if there's no merit to it. And if it's someone that like, I don't know, like it's just random, if it's random comments, it's, it doesn't really have any weight. Yeah. It shouldn't. Cause it's one of those things where like, I, I say this all the time, like 
If I wouldn't take your advice, why the fuck would I take your criticism? I don't know who you are. I don't know what kind of day you're having. I don't know what kind of life experiences you have to be like, oh, shit, this person's right. You're. I don't know if you're – I have no clue if you're an expert in your field or, you know, someone who has no experience on what they're talking about. You're just a random person on the internet. And until proven otherwise, I'm just going to treat you as such. Yeah, everyone's just like a byproduct of their material conditions, right? Like, that's it. Um, there's a push and pull, like the pendulum swings, and I'm going to keep on living the life that works for me. <laughs> as you that's should, it. as more people fucking should. Like, And that's the, the thing that bothers me about people being like, oh, your parents must be proud. Like, it's your life. It's the only one you fucking give. The only one you fucking get. You're really going to make sacrifices. You're really going to kowtow to what your parents want versus what you want in this world. Fuck that. Yeah. That's very, also, that's also like that perception is also very American. Like that, like hyper individual, I'm going to do what I want. Like regardless of what my parents think is very like individualistic in a, in a way that works personally for my life. But um, I think there is like, I, I'm not going to like give any sort of like, you know, I'm not like justifying like what the haters say, but I think, you know, it, it comes from a place of sometimes not having um, a strong individualism. Um, and some people live their life like that. And that, yeah. And because they don't have a strong individualism or they have a more collective mindset, they, I think that mindset specifically requires them to add more people to the pool, right? It needs to consume more like people into the collective, like they need to proselytize in a specific way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all reality, we do need those people too. Society needs those people. Cause if yeah. we were a society completely de- comprised of individuals, the shit would break down. Yeah, exactly. There's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, they're doing their job. Right. It's, right. it's very specific, like, like on a, on a macro level, like, like these are the ants that do this thing to make society work. We are the ants that do this thing to make society work. And, it, there's, you know, at the borders, there's tensions and it's the way it is. Yeah. And I'm okay with that tension. I think some of the most interesting conversations happen at that border. Yeah, that that's all. <laughs> as long as people at that border are willing to have an open and honest conversation. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Like, I'm willing to talk to people that I disagree with political beliefs or stuff like that. As long as they're willing to actually be forthright and honest about the conversation. If they're having the conversation to just try to jam their thought process down my throat, I'm not interested in that conversation. But if we're both coming at it from an honest place, from a place of openness, we're like, oh, hey, I can admit I was wrong there. You can admit you're wrong there. Mm -hmm. That's worthwhile having. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's so hard for people to drop their guard, though, to like get to a point of like, okay, I see you as a person instead of I see you as like a list of bullet points that I think you are and like unlearning like presumptions and learning stereotypes and getting to, to a, a place where it's like, okay, um, this is like, there's a lot that you know that I don't know. Right. And there's a lot that I know that you don't know. And let's like work together on that. In an ideal world. In an ideal world. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> we have a lot of blind tribalism and people just want to, Put you in a neat little box, especially it seems like it's worse in modern times of people just being like, 
oh, you believe this, so you're obviously this. Like, uh, I believe that one point that doesn't make me blindly believe everything else that potentially corresponds with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how is a society come back from that. It it seems to be like it's getting worse. It's just, you know, oh, well, if I have these beliefs that are conservative, I'm going to go blindly believe everything else that like is being preached by that side. Or if I believe in universal healthcare, I must obviously believe in everything else. Yeah, it's like, no. Mm. Nothing should be just taken blindly. Yeah, the world's big. It's complicated. Too much, inf- a lot of information. <laughs> a lot of opinions that are being presented as facts mm. is also part of it. Mm. The internet has given everyone a voice. And it's hard for a lot of people, and myself included at times, to disseminate what is actually real versus what is someone's opinion agenda. Sometimes I think that's part of a that's one factor in, in one of like the many reasons I like sadism is very complicated things become very simple when pain is involved. <laughs> yeah. no, more, no more honest moment than. <laughs> it's a very honest moment. I think suffering is a very honest moment. I think a lot of people's like true feelings and opinions come out when they're in uh, a incredibly distressed situation or they're in pain. And I, I like that honesty. I like that truthfulness. Yeah, I think I'm not quite sure what I'm seeking sometimes in BDSM kink, but I think that's that ha- that's leading to something. <laughs> Truth seeker. I don't know. I just I like it when I see a person. And I was like, wow, yeah, you at the end of the day, you are just an animal, huh? You break and bleed like everyone else. Like, how humbling is that? <laughs> well. That's the thing. Everyone in their own mind is the center of their own universe. And it's like, oh, no, we all have these very common things. Mm-hmm. We bleed. We break. We eventually die. Yeah. There's no center. Also, the center is like defined by the periphery. So if you want to see like what the center is, you have to look at who's marginalized from the conversation. That's like oftentimes more indicative of their beliefs and what they think they believe. Very true. No. <laughs> Look at us getting all deep and shit. It's like, oh, and start off all kink and pain. And, and we're still talking about pain. Yeah, true, true. We're, we're still talking about pain. We're, we're still managing to work in it. Pain is everywhere. Pain is so, it's never ending. Suffering's never ending. Isn't that like such a, like, it's just such a liberating fact you just like accept about the world. It, it is. It's like, at the point where suffering ends, you've gone on to non existence. Yeah. I just like making the suffering my own. And I like making your suffering my own too. <laughs> That's all. So how do you enjoy suffering? Uh, on a, like, uh, given to me or given to someone else? No, no, no. I mean, just how do you enjoy suffering? Like how? Just how, like sitting in it. Just sitting in it? Yeah. I mean, like sad moments, like hard moments, difficult moments, sitting in it. Yeah. And same with subs too. I like them to just sit in it. <laughs> Yeah, they can express via noises sometimes, but the sitting in a, yeah, they're like, this is it. There's no getting out of it. I'm not in control of anything. It's It really is a reflection of like 
I don't know, like everyone's life too, right? It's a, I, often the BDSM space is just a microcosm of like the larger, larger universe. Well, as you said earlier in the show, control's an illusion. Control's an illusion. And, yeah. That's one of the things that, like, that I've said about the pandemic multiple times. Like, I always thought five-year plans were bullshit because you never know what the fuck's going to happen. The pandemic really illustrated that like, oh, hey, guess what? Your five-year plan went right out the fucking window, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like when you deal with people that are conspiracy theorists and it's just like, bro, that is way beyond my pay grade. That is way out of my control, even if it was real. Why am I going to spend time and energy on this? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Earth's flat. Cool. Like, I think those two are so interesting. It's so interesting. Well, and I, I heard this, I'm sure not even from a reputable source, but I heard like a lot of people that attach to conspiracy theories are people that don't feel that they have control in their life and they're looking for something to latch onto that they can control, mm. a narrative they can control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People do love narratives. They love a good story. I love a good story, honestly. I love a good narrative arc. Yeah. But I also really like um, like paradoxes, like we're it, like dually in control and control is also an illusion, stuff like that. You know, like, I think there's a lot of truth in paradoxes and in the like tensions between like oftentimes like two coexisting truths. Yeah. Um, I know this is like a segue and like, can I get more ice? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. I know you've been staring at your cup for a while. <laughs> We're back. Cause I got ice to answer your question. Well, I guess we'll, t- I started a podcast. So uh, in 2016, I was working as a private investigator. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts during the day, like while doing surveillance. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I know a bunch of people. I know pro- how to do production. I should do one of these. And I ran into my original co-host at a part industry party, like a week or two later after I came to this. She's like, hey, you want to start a podcast? I should. Yeah, sure. I 100% think she thought it was like one of those Hollywood, like, let's do a thing. 72 hours later, the equipment was here. Uh-huh. And we started doing it. Okay. And her and I. Just on a whim. Yeah. Her and I did the show together for about a year. Then I had another co-host for about six months in 2017. And I've been doing it solo since October of 17. Mm. So. Nice. Yeah. I, I love this medium. This is the last Wild West medium. Because as you were talking about before, YouTube used to be a great platform. Now it's wildly censored. Mm-hmm. Like this episode, no, though nothing particularly like graphic has been talked about. There's no, no not, not the full toilet. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like, like, and I sloshed his shit in between my teeth. And, oh. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that, yeah. that's just there, but this will probably be demonetized. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. iTunes and more recently Spotify have been very hands off with the medium, with the audio end of it. As long as you're not promoting hate speech, they literally do not care what you do. Mm, okay, I didn't know that. Interesting. I just, I, I, I got really into podcasts because I listen to podcasts all the time. And then recently, again, with like ASMR, trying to do more voice stuff, I've been listening to my voice a lot more. And then I just realized, well, I'm doing digital. It'll be really fun to meet people and just talk about where I'm coming from. And one of the other things I love about this medium is we've been talking for almost two hours, right? Has it been two hours already? Hour 45-ish. Okay. Wow. We've been talking for almost two hours. Guess what neither one of us guess what neither one of us did in this time? What did we do? 
look at our phones. <laughs> Neither one of us pulled out our phones to check social media, like, during the conversation. This is one of the few moments that you actually get to be and have real interaction with people versus, like, if we were at a, actually at a bar or actually in some social – no one's got a bat and I – someone pulls out their phone, checks their Twitter, whatever. Like, mm. But because of the dynamic of a podcast, we are here having an actual fucking conversation. Yeah. For almost two hours with no breaks, no – That flew by. That's insane. I didn't even realize. I got comfortable real quick too. I've done this once or twice. I didn't realize that I was going to talk about full twice. I was, I like, I, I was like, I don't know. Like I only did it like once, you know, and I'm like it's – I don't know. I feel like it alienates a lot of people because it's such an extreme experience. But yeah, I also do a lot of sensual domination. That's my bread and butter. I like using my body to make men do things that uh, pleases me. <laughs> Just putting it out there. What goes into sensual domination? Tease and denial. Um, worship. I uh, I like bondage on top of that, you know. Who's tying um, up who in that situation? Are you tying them up or? Oh, yes, I'm tying them up. Yes. <laughs> if it's not clear. <laughs> just just clarifying. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure there's a laundry list of people watching the show who are like, I'd love to tie her up. There is. I understand. And I love denying you of that pleasure. You can think about it. Think about it, though, you know. There's AI out there. You can put my face on someone who's being tied up and really think about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so ridiculous that, like, the technology is easily accessible to be like, oh, yep, just slap your head on someone else's body and now they're tied up. I mean, I give you consent to do that if you want to. I I think, like, there's something funny about the fact that I'm – I'm in their heads to the point like they have to see me on someone else's body doing the thing that they need me to be doing. I think that's like, that's really fascinating. Do it. So <laughs> think I'm, about me. Keep thinking about me. I'm curious. What turns you on more? A man pleasuring himself to you to orgasm or you denying him that orgasm? When he's Ooh, it depends on my mood again. Okay. Like some, some days I'm like feeling a little, you know, a little meaner. Then denial is the way to go. And other days, I just love like, you know how a man gets like when they're really horny. It's just like, oh, like there's yeah, nothing I've been in there. there. Once or twice in my life. Yeah, I love that because like both of it's like a, a form of control, but like for a different sort of like set of neurons. And like when they're like just gooning out and there's no thoughts, you it's like it's hilarious. Like after they come, it's the I love seeing specifically the post come clarity too of like oh my god what did I just do like I just like edge for three hours <laughs> or like she like totally made me come using like a trigger word that I had no idea would trigger me it was stuff like that <laughs> very Pavlovian it is Pavlovian yeah this the sound for a lot of people is yeah that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> I that on one hand like if you had someone you trusted like that, that could just you know make you nut with a sound, that'd be almost awesome. Because like, oh man, I don't have time to like, you know actually get off. Can you just you know? Uh huh. <laughs> you're so practical, like about the Japan convenience thing, and now you're like, oh, I can nut faster if I can like. <laughs> yeah, because I don't care how long it takes me to come, as long as I'm the only one involved. Like, mm-hmm. you know, slowing down how fast I come. Is important when I'm trying to satisfy a partner. Like if I'm just trying to get off, I'm just trying to get off. Yeah, you're like snapping in fire. You're just like, come on, yeah, like, come on, man, let's do it. <laughs> I need to get the poison out. I need to fight my prostate cancer and like. 
But you know, when there's a partner involved, I give a fuck if she's getting off, so I can't just pop and go. <laughs> with a big asterisk there, when drunk man has sex, sometimes, sometimes there's definitely been people where I effectively masturbated inside them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I admit, like I've been drunk, and it's just like, oh, this is a hookup with someone I don't. You, I don't care. Like it's literally like, oh. Okay, I guess this is a, sure, and I just drunkenly try to get off. It's not like, oh my god, this is what the goal is, and this is something I would do with it, like a r- actual romantic partner. But sometimes, like drunk, just grinding genitals together happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm willing to admit it. Like it's just like, yeah. And then there's been other times where it's like, oh shit, well I came too quickly, and I don't feel good about it because mm. that's happened to like. Every dude, I feel like that happens to. And like, it's one of those things where like dudes, it's almost toxic masculinity where dudes won't like be willing to admit like, oh yeah, I popped too quickly or I didn't get it up. Like failure happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a dude. I can't, I can't admit like I wasn't viral. Uh, alcohol. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I haven't like had, I've never really been on the dating apps to be honest. So I, there's a lot of these like hookup stories I don't relate to. I love hearing about them, but I don't relate to them. Yeah. I've never like really done the swiping thing. Um, but you're in New York in bars. Like you've never like been like, Oh, Hey, this, it, this would be fun. Oh, in like in a bar. Like you're telling me you've never had a one night stand. Um, I've had one night stands, but they always like end up like wanting to date. Well, stop like they, banging them so well. They no, they always end up like following up. So I've never had a true one when I stand, and I've wanted one for ever. Stop fucking so good. It's insane. Well, and it's also one of those things where like it's human nature to want what you can't have. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah, I, I think some people, some people should accept it though. If. Uh, if that's the state of being that you're in, you should just accept it. <laughs> How self-aware are a lot of people? A lot of people are not self-aware. Uh, yeah, I guess. They always have a chance to be self-aware, though. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know what causes someone to like, oh, yeah. Huh. I should accept that, you know, I'm not going to get closure here. I'm not going to get what I want here. It's a little sad. <laughs> Was it at least good? Huh? Was it at least good? Uh, it was good sex, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, it's good times. You've had at least one one-night stand in your life. One one true one-night stand. Yeah. One true one-night stand. And you've had that experience? This like, should be like an alignment chart of like one-night stand is like true one and the chaotic one and then like true <laughs> neutral. <laughs> Take it you play a little D&D. <laughs> Um, I watched Dimension 20. Okay. Yeah, like Brendan Lee Mulligan, you know, that I, I watched Dimension 20, but I don't play D&D. Um, I, I think I was like a little bit older when I learned about it. And if I, I swear, if I learned about D&D when I was younger, I would be a total D&D head. I mean, you still can. It's okay. I would love to. I just don't have enough time. I'm too busy floating around. Well, you can play online with people. I... Okay, but isn't the true D&D experience having a group of friends that you love and you're all role-playing together instead of with strangers? I well, feel like I, that's I'm not, the I'm true not D&D. With I'm not, never play with strangers. Like, 
as an old school gamer, never play with strangers. Cause the problem is the social dynamic is real. And though you're all playing characters, if you can't stand the people you're playing with, you can't stand the people you're playing with mm-hmm. because so much of the game is created by the collective imagination and the person running it. If you all are not on the same wavelength, it will not work. It will be a bad time. Like there's plenty of people I know that probably would enjoy playing D and D with the right people mm. or playing any other role playing game with the right people. But they were, their first experience was with people that just didn't click with them. So they're just like, fuck that, that that's a horrible time. Cause that's all they experienced. Honestly, I'm more choosy about the people I'll game with than the people I'll have sex with. <laughs> Shit, that that that's real. Fuck. <laughs> Never thought about that, but that's real. <laughs> you should be choosier about people you have sex with. But from my standpoint, I guess like I'm not the best person to be like. I don't know what the male experience is, but <laughs> sometimes you gotta get the poison out. <laughs> sometimes you gotta poison out. <laughs> no, I definitely should historically be choosier with some of the people I have sex with. Like, cause sometimes it's like, as I said, drunk and it's just like, Hey, wanna? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> there's a time and place for it. Like there's a time and place for it. There's a sort of like freedom to doing that too. But if you, I feel like if you experience a bunch of self-loathing after, then it's not for you. Then obviously if you experience that much self-loathing, you don't want that type of, you know, interaction. Depends on who it was with. <laughs> it's run the whole game, but there's some, there have been times where it's just like, Oh shit, why didn't she call? That was fucking awesome. And mm. then there was I've told this story on air before too. Sorry, people have heard it. Well, like I sobered up inside someone while I was in Spain and was like, why am inside I inside someone? Yeah. Oh no. Wait, give me the full story. I want the whole story. Oh, sorry, audience who's heard this multiple times. <laughs> I was at my friend's wedding in Spain. And I was very drunk. Very, very, very drunk. Mm-hmm. Like I had just been sleeping on a pool table drunk at the reception. Me and one of the bridesmaids had been super flirty the whole trip. And it's like, oh, actually, everyone thought that her and I had gone off to hook up when we both disappeared. Unfortunately, she had passed out drunk in some bushes somewhere. Oh, I yeah. passed out on a pool table. Uh huh. I came back up to the party, like, and this friend of the bride and grooms who had come in from the States was there. I don't really recall how it happened, but in my vague recollection of it, it was, I talked to my buddy who she was talking to like, do you care if I, he was like, no, please do. And the next thing I know we're back in my room because the reception was at the villa we were staying at. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And then like, I started to sober up while I was inside her. I'm like, why am I here? Oh, that's rough. Yeah. She was a horrible person. Was, oh no. Like not like just, Inside and out, just not a good, not a good person. Oh God, yeah. That's but it was rough. one of those things. As I was sobering up, and I'm like, "Well, I'm already pot committed. I might as well finish." <laughs> and do you like close your eyes and imagine you go somewhere? I was just trying to like. I was just trying to finish as fast as possible at that point. Oh man, I would just stop. I mean, like you can masturbate. You can masturbate in dignity. <laughs> Yeah. Wouldn't have made for as good of a story. <laughs> You're like, this is for the bits. I committed this to the, is for the bit. This is going to be on my podcast. <laughs> Two year, a year and a half before I started doing the podcast, but yes. <laughs> and the worst part about it was like, after we finished, she's like, oh, I'm going back to the party. I'm like, cool. I'm in my room. I'm going to sleep. She's like, let me get one of your shirts. I'm like, no, do not put on my clothes to go back out to the party. She took one of my fucking shirts anyways. Oh, 
And she, it was a Chicago bar shirt, so it's real obvious whose shirt that was. Mm-hmm. And oh uh, yeah, the next morning she storms into the room, like doesn't knock, wakes me up, like turns on the lights to get her shit, and then leaves the fucking lights on. It's just like you're rude, lady. Mm-hmm. Fucking rude. And then sent the bridesmaid who I've been floating with the whole trip in to like look for her stuff. I'm like cool. Well, that that's definitely not happening this trip then. Cool. And then on top of it, she was supposed to give like someone else a ride back into town. Just start drinking our alcohol. And like 30 minutes before they were supposed to leave. So this other person could catch their train was just like, I'm too drunk to drive. You'll have to figure out your own way to town in. Oh, only way back into town. I'm like, you're a horrible person. Like Ooh. I had sex with a horrible person. Yeah. That's what happens. Oh, I mean, I, when you're a little tipsy, you know? Oh, I was, I, I mean, I was drunk. I was drunk. Yeah. But I, I also don't think like you should judge yourself too hard for it. No, like, it, it happens, you it, know, it does. You didn't know her. No, though. I probably gave her chlamydia. So you did. So I found out when I got back to the States that like, wait, but you were not protected. I it started there. Oh it, my it broke. God. Okay. It, it, it broke. Uh, uh, well, there's like medication for that. Yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. No, it's fucking a porno cold. <laughs> Run antibiotics. But it was one of those things where like, I I was a little symptomatic before I left for the trip, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, oh, my pee burned or anything like that. I was just pissing a lot, and I thought I had a UTI. Uh-huh. So I was just down, being a stubborn dude down in Cranberry Juice and like, I'll just get through this. Got back to the States, and I was still pissing a lot. And I'm like, right, I need to go see a doctor. And like, I gave them my urine sample, and they didn't even wait for the results. Like, here's, here's antibiotics. Uh-huh. Like, oh, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Wow. And then came back and like, oh, yeah, you had chlamydia. I'm like, cool. Um, once again, I've told this story on there, but I had no way to contact that girl. So I had to call the groom and be like, so, uh, you know, your, your wife's friend who I hooked up with at your wedding, uh, could you please tell her to go get tested? And then she's such a horrible person. The next time he saw her, he went to tell her. And the first thing she said to him unprompted was, I didn't fuck your friend in Spain. Uh-huh. And he went, oh, I guess I got nothing to tell you then. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's all fucked up. Oh, what a story. Up. All fucked up. <laughs> the worst part about it is I got chlamydia most likely, 99.9% sure, from like my non-monogamous civilian partner that like I had been seeing up until like a couple weeks before that trip. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. just like ugh, fucking civilians. Yeah. Were they not testing or like, was this just, it just happens? Well, it's one of those things. Like the rule was like we were doing unprotected and we were supposed to use protection with other people. I hadn't hooked up with anyone else in a while. Mm. And you know, we hooked up and then shortly after that hookup is when I started being symptomatic. I wasn't mad about that. I was mad that she took no ownership in the situation. Cause I called her up and like, yo, you need to get tested. And Mm -hmm. she went, she went and got tested and she's like, I came back clean. You must have blacked out drunk and fucked somebody else. Mm. Like, cool. Didn't you just tell me you did a round of antibiotics for a lung infection? You know, antibiotics kill chlamydia. <laughs> oh, yeah. I um, I think every time I've been in a relationship, they've been very, very long relationships, actually. Um, and, yeah, there's always, um, I think, like, what I would identify as, is, like, identify as is monogamish. Um, not like purely open because I 
I don't like I, I like that level of devotion. I like that level of loyalty. Well, but I like it being open for certain circumstances. So like well, a party or they're going somewhere, I'm going somewhere like that flexibility is very good for me. I think there's a difference between pure monogamy and like emotional monogamy. Like I'm a okay with physically it being open. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not down with polyamory though. I'm not looking to have multiple partners I'm emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ideally my partner is not looking for other partners to be emotionally invested. That so, yo, the emotional investments monogamous, the physical, whatever, who cares? Yeah, I, I I'm I'm there too, actually. Yeah, the physical stuff is not like that big of a deal for me. Um I the pattern for me though is like I've try to see if like polyamory was for me by opening the relationship with like every long-term relationship I've had, they end up just not seeing other people. Um, and so it Stop would fucking them so good. Stop doing it. <laughs> yeah. Stop doing it. They just don't. Own that shit in. I they don't see other people. Um, and it ends up being a monogamish because it would be open for like, okay, there's like a the specific party and it's like, okay, now this is an experience. It has to be like a specific experience for it to be open. But yeah, that's been the that's been the pattern in my life, and I think I it's not that I like specifically I I, I did keep it pretty open, pretty polyamorous for like a while um, until I realized like none so, of my partners see any other people. Is it their lack of ability to get other people, or is it their lack no. of trying? No, 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 no. They're um they do not have a lack of ability of getting other people. That's okay, for sure. Well, because that that. There's a very real thing that happens for some polyamorous couples. It's like, yeah. And that's where a lot of polyamory fails is like, oh, one party is able to have multiple suitors and multiple the you know, full polyamory. And the other party is just like, well, you were the best I, and only I could do. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah. That's not like, that's not the case. Like with like one of my partner, uh, one of my like, like longer term partners in the past, he would be like, Oh yeah, I went to this bar and like a bunch of these girls came up to me and I was like, I have a girlfriend. I was like, yeah, but you could have, you know, like we're, we're open. Like, it's okay. Like I wanted to like make it really safe for him to explore if he wanted to explore and do those things. And he's like, no, I just wanted to go home. And I was like, okay. Like if that's, that's really fine too. And that's one good as long as he's not getting upset that you are out there you know, exploring the agreed upon rules of your relationship. Yeah. But for me, it's not like it, for me, it's like, I, I like subs, you know, like I'm looking for victims at the bar. I'm not looking for hookups at the bar. <laughs> I'm looking for like, Oh, he seems like he has some inclinations. He seems like a good test subject for me tonight. <laughs> I like that's, that's the kind of like urges I have. They're more violent. Um, and most of the time it's, open-ish and now I have like subs that I can have those urges satiated but in in the past it's like okay like my partner is not going to let me like say like cut him you know right um so I need to look for people who would be willing to do that for me yeah (laughs) in a different light that is some full-on serial killer shit like I know I, I know what you're doing is completely consensual and fine. It, it is. I, I but I, I understand like the angle you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, but I I, it's it is like something that I had to think a lot about. And to be honest, I had a lot of shame around it. Why? Because I was like, oh my god, this is so fucked up. It's not though. <laughs> like, I understand the perception. Like, I understand like the perception of like, 
violent urges and like certain kinds of like uh, you know like I or, like I fully am aware of it. But I'm also I have fully like accepted that this is who I am, and every every like now and then like on a monthly basis, like I need I need a victim. Like I need it. It's not like a that's it's not like a it's I have to I have to hurt someone in a in a very like significant way in order for me to like be like okay, like I I can like exist again. As long as it's consensual, that's fine. But it's it's I, I was just making a joke about that. Like it was Please don't hurt me. <laughs> no, I'm not. Again, like I, I think like I, this is the safest, best way for me to exist in the the way I'm wired. Like I, I'm really, really quite, um, quite like blessed to be in this industry and like to have found BDSM because I, I have no idea where this would have went if I was like in some suburb somewhere in like in the middle of like Minnesota. Like I have miserable. No idea. Like everyone in Minnesota is miserable. Yeah, I think I would have like actually gone crazy. I think I would have like actually lost my mind. So before you found the space, before you became a lifestyle player, how did you deal with these urges? It was um really pent up, really extremely, extremely pent up. Um and um oh man, I can talk about how I dealt with those urges, but like, it's not something I want to say on air. So let's not do it then. Let's not do it. Yeah. I can talk about it after, but it's not something I'm saying on air. Yeah. For sure. Like, please don't admit to crimes on the internet. I have not, not done anything illegal. Exactly. Exactly. I've not done anything illegal. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually it's about that time. We're going to call last call. So you can tell me these stories that are not fit for the internet. Okay. Or you have to run on new sessions. So tell me. It was a pleasure. Before we get you out of here, though, where can they find you on the things? Um, my digital pages are MXTomi Digital. It's MXTomi underscore digital on Twitter and MXTomi.digital on Instagram. That's my digital content. It is sensual. It's um, some of the more like fun, like JOI, chastity stuff that I do. Um, and you don't have to worry about anything so extreme on there. It's fun. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It was an absolute pleasure. We will definitely do this again next time you're in town or some shit. I would love to. Awesome. Well, until next week, drink up, motherfuckers. 